Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Julie Winkle Giulioni. Julie is the founder of the enterprise-wide training firm, Design the Rounds, and her focus is enhancing engagement, retention, and the bottom line for corporate leaders and managers. Julie worked at Achieve Global and is a regular contributor to The Economist, The Conference Board, Training Industry Magazine, Smart Brief, and other publications. Inc. Magazine has named her one of the top 100 leadership speakers. She's here to talk about her experiences in her book, Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go, Career Conversations Organizations Need and Employees Want. Julie currently lives with her husband, Peter, and their pooch pixel in South Pasadena, California. She's also an avid stand-up paddleboarder. Welcome, Julie. Thanks, Bill. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to have you on. And a question I like to start off with is, when you were growing up, Julie, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? You know, I was really fortunate to be surrounded by such a, a great tribe of folks. But I, I think my dad probably is the, the face that immediately comes to mind when I hear that question. He had an eighth grade education. Uh, had to drop out of school to take care of his family and became a printer. And the whole time we were growing up, he worked two jobs to make sure he could provide his family with with what he had envisioned, you know, he wanted to be able to do. He was the most hardworking, selfless, gracious person on the planet. And uh, I think I really developed a strong work ethic watching just what he was willing to do in service of of his family and the community around him. As you think back on your career and decisions that you've made growing up, what's a decision that you made that you could tie back and say was influenced by your dad? You know, when my son was young, uh, I was in a consulting role that demanded a a good deal of travel. And uh, then we had our daughter as well. And there came a time when it was clear that things were out of out of balance. And I needed to make a change to be more present with uh, the family. And uh, and so gratefully, the, the company I was with at the time was able to find a, a new and different role for me, and I was able to pivot. But I kind of see that paralleling my dad's commitment to doing what was necessary for the family, getting creative. And uh, in his case, he wasn't able to be as present. It was a slightly different outcome. But I think in terms of the bigger purpose, service of family, it was uh, very similar. I definitely see how in a different role, you relied on some of the lessons and values and examples he probably provided growing up when you got to be in that position. Yeah, when I got to be in that position and probably every day since. (laughs) So we're going to talk a lot about today the importance of professional development in businesses of all sizes. But let's talk for a moment about small businesses with dozens of employees rather than thousands. Why is it often overlooked? Why do people often overlook professional development in business? 
You know, the major reason we find is that leaders have conflated a few different ideas and have really confused what development looks like and what the outcomes of that are. You know, so frequently when we think about development, we immediately start thinking about promotions. And of course, in all business, but particularly smaller businesses, the corporate ladder doesn't have a lot of rungs left for people to grab onto. There just aren't a lot of promotions, even lateral moves, other positions for people to take. And so what a lot of leaders tend to do is figure, you know, I can't promote anyone. I can't move anyone. We don't have those kinds of options. So, you know what, let's just not even talk about development because it's just going to stir the pot, set expectations I can't deliver on. And so a lot of leaders tend to to back away because they are confused about what the outcome of that development can be. And then the other thing we hear all the time as we were researching for the book, leaders from organizations of all sizes explained that they didn't feel like they had the time to develop others, that they had so much on their plates. And so it was hard for them, given the way they conceived development, to find the time to make it happen. So I think that everyone listening can readily identify with the first one because organizations are getting flatter. People are being asked to do more with fewer people day in and day out. Now, how do you address the second part? What does the conversation sound like when you talk to a leader who brings you in and says, you know, we want people trained, we want them to have the skills and be able to see that we're interested in developing them and retaining them. However, we don't want to devote a whole lot of time to it. (laughs) How how do you go from there? (laughs) Well, and, and that's really the fundamental question. And the thing that we have to unpack is what can development look like in this, you know, that, that, so that it can operate at the speed of business? And let me just ask you, when you think, Bill, about the people who helped you develop most powerfully over the course of, of your career, what was it that they did? So I think of two people who had a, a big role in my development. And Chris was someone who would give me a challenge. And he would say, listen, we want this resource managed and we really have tried a bunch of things and we don't know a lot about it, but we want you to look into it, investigate it, and come up with a good solution. And I think that's that's a commonality. They, they gave me challenges and just expected that I'd be able to come up with a, a good solution to them and I'd be able to demonstrate the value of what I went out and learned. Mm-hmm. And what else? Let's see. They gave me support to travel or go to conferences and meet new people and learn new ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about, I mean, when we really get real about how we've gotten to where we are, these are the kinds of things, you know, leaders have thrown you into the deep end, you know, kind of to your point, gave you the challenge, assumed that you were going to be able to swim, but were there with a, a, you know, the life preserver, if necessary. They saw something in you and let you step up and see it in yourself. They supported you. When we do this, I've probably done an exercise like this with 20,000 leaders worldwide, hear a lot about trust. You know, they listened to me, they provided feedback. When you start to look at the reality of what others have done to support us, those are not huge time sinks when you really think about it. 
You know, what happens is in so many organizations, we think that development has to be these big, long meetings and planning sessions and, and the, those moments in time that do take an hour, two hours, three hours, prep time, follow-up time and whatnot. And if we continue to think about development as those extras that we're going to add on to an already full plate, they're going to fall off. So the, what I challenge leaders to do is, you know, how can we break this up? How do we think about, rather than even that two-hour, once-a-year sort of engagement, what if we broke it up and talked to people 10 minutes a month or five minutes a week or just infused a great developmental question when you're walking down the hallway grabbing coffee together? If we can start to unbundle career development and do it almost kind of a subscription or a drip system over time, Suddenly, it doesn't become the big time barrier that so many leaders go into it thinking it's going to be. So I wonder if you encounter the other constraint, which is we don't have a lot of time for people to become more skilled at this skill set. However, we need them up to speed with it in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you I'm, I'm sure encounter that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, and let's break it down. Employees don't have any more time than managers do. I mean, at the end of the day, they're just as burdened as the the leadership ranks are. I did some research recently, and not enough time for development was the number one impediment that employees mentioned. Is getting in the way. Sometimes it's other work-related responsibilities. In many cases, and increasingly with men, uh, which is interesting, it's outside of work responsibilities that can get in the way. So the time pressure and the need to get up to speed quickly isn't a pressure just felt by the, the managers. I think it's also felt by the, the employees across the board. And the beauty is that there are so many opportunities today for learning. You know, it kind of breaks down to three categories when you think about learning anything. It's it's education, you know, sort of those more formal structured learning opportunities. There's exposure where we can learn through others and there's experience. And so for many of us, I think we default to the more formal education sort of thing. So waiting for a class or a workshop or a, you know, a seminar or something of that nature. There's not always the time for that when we're in this kind of hurry up mode. Although when you look online, there's tremendous resources. You know, you look at YouTube, you can Google almost anything. There's Khan Academy. So there are those kind of speed of business resources. But increasingly, the way organizations are dealing with, you know, let's do this quickly, is to leverage the other two components, the exposure. So who else in the organization knows this? Who can you shadow? Who can you interview? Who can download the best practices as an efficient way to transfer knowledge and skill? And then experience, really being smart about offering employees on the job, in role experiences and activities that allow them to build the skill while also contributing to the real work which offers uh, another efficient way to uh, to get people up to speed quickly. Julie, I really like that this leads into a point that you raised in your book, which is the shift of managers talking about different titles to different responsibilities. From what do you want to be 
talking to someone in a professional development conversation. You know, I might want to be an accounting supervisor or director of logistics to what you want to do. Well, maybe you want to improve the involvement of your involvement in the company PL. Maybe you want to help select and implement a new system to track inventory. Can you expand on that in terms of how you help people at all levels in all industries develop this kind of thinking for their organizations? Yeah, yeah. And thanks for bringing this up, Bill, because to me, I think, you know, if there's one message in the book, that if you only walked away with that, I would be thrilled. I think it's this one. Because for so long, leaders have in their hip pocket when they're ready to talk about career or development at all, it's that question, where do you see yourself in three to five years? And it's such a setup in most organizations for a couple of reasons. You know, it immediately gets people thinking about what they want to be, a title, a role, a particular responsibility. And especially in a smaller organization where you don't have a lot of those to go around, it goes from being a potentially expansive, energizing conversation to a, oh, no, well, you know, he's never going to leave and we don't really need another one of those. And it shuts the conversation down. Because there are only so many roles available, and you've got to make sure that people are ready for a role when one is available. It's just, it's complicating and limiting. So, oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? And all too common. <laughs> and all too common. Yeah. 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 So, if we, and, and it is just like that what do you want to be when you grow up sort of question. And from the time we're kids, we're sort of trained to think about work and success in terms of a title. You know, I want to be a doctor. I want to be an attorney. I wanted to be an elevator operator growing up, but that's a whole other podcast. Because that career has its own ups and downs, right? Uh, oh, oh, nice. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so we tap that that natural sort of wrong thinking. We send people down paths that we can't deliver on. And then we wonder why folks are consistently, you know, uh, disappointed with the development that they're getting. So we can flip the script so easily by rather than focusing on what people want to be, to focus on what they want to do. As soon as we start talking about what kind of work do you want to be doing? What does career success look like to you? What kinds of clients would you like to be working with? What kind of technology do you want to learn about? What kinds of contributions and achievements do you want to be able to look back on? When we start shifting to what people want to do, suddenly it goes from a limited conversation to one that's unlimited or that's limited only by the creativity of those who are involved in the conversation, the employee and the leader. It opens up the opportunity to kind of deconstruct almost the idea of career and figure out what corner of this is somebody interested in that we can also deliver on in the organization. Now, when you think about it, in many ways, career is this big monolithic thing and over the course of the last several decades, you know, where we're not doing a cradle to grave sort of engagement with our employer, or we are episodic going, you know, from one employer to another, maybe four or five year stints. What does 
career and development even look like? If we can deconstruct it and figure out what do people want to do? What do they want to accomplish? Maybe during this period of time, they really want to build competence. Or maybe they really want to hunker down and figure out how they can contribute more or how to make connections. If we can figure out what they want to do, a savvy leader in most cases will be able to match real work and developmental opportunities to that. So again, we're back to that speed of business development. Julie, I wonder if you've been influenced by Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset, because it sounds so much like that has had a role in your thinking about this, rather than the fixed mindset of, well, we only have so many positions on the org chart, and in order to advance, you've got to look for a box that has an opening, or whether we contract or grow and add another one into this department, to let's have it more fluid and make it be about responsibilities rather than title. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're kind of talking about the growth mindset and aligning it at the meta level. So absolutely, it aligns like that. It also aligns at at a deeper mindset level for our leaders. And just to answer your original question, yes, love the work of Carol Dweck. Just brilliant thinking that while it started with students in classrooms, absolutely applies to all of us uh, in the workplace as well. But what we need in a new environment that offers this more kind of organic development to employees, so leaders need to be modeling the mindset as well. Because, I mean, let's face it, development, learning, growth, it's messy. And we need to create the space and the, the safety for people to try things out, to fall down, to be able to brush themselves up often and get up and try it again. And with a growth mindset, the idea that effort can lead to results, it gives everybody the permission to engage in the, the messy part of learning and growth as well. I remember one of the phrases that I use a lot with working with clients as well is, is not yet. I haven't mastered that skill not yet, but I'm still working on it. So it gives people that permission to continue to, to put effort into it rather than expecting to be perfect after coming through, you know, an hour of reading a book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and doesn't that acknowledge the reality that we're all in a not yet state, that there's always a space for us to go deeper, to get better, to offer more. I love that. I think not yet is a very hopeful way of looking at work. Julie, I know that you're a sought-after consultant with companies of a lot of different sizes, and I wonder if you can share with us an example from a company where you worked with someone who a leader stood up and said, or reached out to you and said, we're having some difficulty adopting some of this fluidity. We want some guidance on how to structure development so that we really do help them grow so we don't watch them grow. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and um, there are, you know, I've had the, the good fortune over the last 20 years or so to work with so many organizations. A couple that come to mind, one is on the larger end of the, the continuum because I, I do work with organizations across the spectrum. Manufacturing organization and the leader of talent development, Manuel, reached out. And what they were really struggling with was a flattening of their organization, not unlike what so many organizations are experiencing, and a need to be able to attract and retain skillful technical people. 
especially in a worldwide organization where in some cultures there's a need to show progress year after year, each year moving up the food chain, as it were. This is a flat organization that would require someone to come in in an engineering role and perhaps be a junior engineer for five to seven years before being able to move up to that next level. And so what they were finding was they were having a tough time retaining the talent that was really important to them because they were being gobbled up by some sexier industries and organizations. And they needed to really help, especially this engineering population, rethink what career was and rethink how development worked. And so we worked with the organization from the top down. I actually traveled to all of their locations around the world to meet with the executives and really get their stories, really understand their vision and their challenges to be able to roll that down. We created a system, a conversational system for the folks in the engineering environment Uh, the leaders in the engineering environment, to engage in more regular cadence that offered the kind of attention those engineers were looking for. And we offered, we helped the leaders identify a full range of developmental opportunities for these folks. So that despite the fact that their titles weren't changing, their spheres of influence or scope of influence, the nature of the responsibilities that they were taking on were. So we were able in that organization by working from the top down through the leaders, changing their mindset to create the structures and the culture that allowed conversation and expanding of one's current roles to start to replace some of the old pictures of what career development and career success looked like. And to date, we've had really good results in terms of being able to retain some of that audience that was uh, at risk before. So they're really looking to cultivate a different mindset and a different culture in the organization to attract their next level of junior engineers in this particular manufacturing company. Where did this start? Did it start at the CEO who gave you the charge to do this? Because I imagine there would have been a lot of resistance or unawareness Mm -hmm. at each site around this issue. So it started with Manuel and the the talent development organization who had a really clear-eyed view of what the challenges were. And that was the value of going out to each of the locations and meeting with the executive teams. That was an opportunity for them to educate me, but it was equally important for me to educate them. And so it was through that dialogue that we were able to arrive at a shared understanding of what the problem was. Mm. And as a result of their involvement in really crafting the problem statement and recognizing the enormous implications for the loss of this particular talent population, as a result of them being part of articulating that problem, the the buy-in was there right from the beginning. So it was pretty remarkable at the ease with which we were able to cascade some of this work through the organization. And over how many weeks or months did the intervention take place in order to help educate and develop the skills of the managers to have these different conversations? So keeping in mind that this is a large organization, probably 20,000 individuals worldwide, it was probably 18 months or so 
uh, by the time we had really gotten the message all the way through and were able to start seeing a change in terms of the, the satisfaction of that engineering population. See, this is really important, Julie, because there are people listening who say, oh, 18 months, we don't have time for that. Yet 18 months from now, you're still going to have the problem. It's going to be worse, and you will have lost who knows how many engineers or even potential candidates because you haven't made that type of change. This is actually 18 months you were able to see the metrics turn around. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And what were some of the most outstanding changes in attitude about this when people started seeing that it actually made a difference and it wasn't just a, a feel-good type of activity, but it was looking to change the culture? Oh, well, needless to say, the executive team was, you know, delighted when they saw that it was actually starting to move the needle. But, you know, I think the other thing that we have to keep in mind, and I love what you said, Bill, I mean, we're going to be around, we're going to be here in 18 months, no matter what, might as well have solved this problem or be chipping away at it in the interim. When it comes to development, there are so many side benefits that we see as well, that even if you feel like, gosh, that's a long lead time to start to see the maybe the retention sorts of benefits, we know that development increases engagement. And that can happen sooner rather than later. We know that that kind of engagement unlocks discretionary effort. and People are willing to step up and do more, offer more, be more creative innovative quality improves you know we know that it improves job satisfaction and when employees are satisfied customers are satisfied so maybe if we're feeling like man i don't want to wait quite that long to see the results know that incrementally there are other things that development will be delivering along the way so what you're saying, Julie, is even though the primary objective was to improve the retention numbers and the attraction numbers for this junior engineering position, there are a lot of secondary effects that easily could have been benefited that improve very, very rapidly that people can see the difference in after a couple of conversations, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Julie, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? You bet. All right. So everyone has a lot of things going on, and I'm sure you're no exception to that with the books that you're writing, the speeches that you give, the clients that you work with. I imagine that you have certain fundamental components that help you start your day off on the right foot. What are two or three components of your morning routine for an ideal workday? I wake up super early, so there's absolutely no rushing around in the morning, and I am a real believer in meditation. So I spend a few minutes every morning in reflection and meditation to get my head set in the right direction. And when you see the differences between smaller organizations, maybe a couple hundred people, and larger organizations with several thousands of people, what's a similarity and what's a difference around the adoption of professional development? The similarity is that at the end of the day, leaders have a huge role in making this happen. Whether the organization is small or large, employees are looking to and expecting leaders to take a role in their development. And the extent to which a leader is willing to step up, despite the size of the organization, that will have enormous implications for the individuals that they lead. 
that's a similarity. The difference is in a larger organization, there may be more formal resources available for development, but that doesn't need to be a disadvantage for smaller organizations. Those organic developmental opportunities in role can be really powerful. They can help you also get real work done, and they operate at the the scale and at the speed that a small business needs as well. What's one of the funniest examples you've had and observed with people adopting this new mindset and this new approach to professional development? Well, I think when leaders start to look at this differently and realize the value of developing their folks, they can get quite creative. I had a a client who told me that he sent his administrative assistant to circuit school. She wanted to go to circus school, learn how to fly in the trapeze or whatever it might be. And and he explained that he even paid for circus school, which seems a little out there. And so in quizzing him, you know, I said, well, what was in it for you to do that? And he said, you know, it it's a circus around here. She's managing, you know, a three-ring circus. And despite the fact that, you know, we don't have trapezes, the benefit that he saw was her ability to bring greater focus, greater energy, engagement to the job was well worth it. That's fabulous. Say, for yourself, Julie, what's one of the most important habit, routine, or beliefs that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most personal pleasure or personal satisfaction? That I have stopped. Yeah. You know, I think, and stopped may be an overstatement, and working on, and working to stop. You know, I think one of the things that I struggle with, and a lot of uh, folks do, is comparison. You know, especially in this world with social media, where moments are curated, it's easy to compare and think, you know, gosh, maybe that person is doing better, that book is selling better. You know, you can get into this whole evaluative thing that for me can undermine my confidence. And so one of my one of the old habits I'm trying to change is to reduce the the time I spend in comparison. Good for you. See, let's talk a little bit more about the leader's role in making sure that professional development is updated and has a new meaning in organizations. What are two or three practical things that someone listening right now can take to get started in this direction? Well, the first thing as a leader is to understand that it's not your job to carry someone across the career finish line. Employees need to own their development. Absolutely. And as leaders, then our role is to support, to develop, to guide, to enable, to facilitate. And so what that means is as leaders, we need to cultivate the ability to engage in really good conversations with folks. We need to have at the ready questions that get people thinking about where they've been, what they've done, what they love, what they want to do more of, what's going on in the future. You know, there's research from the Institute for the Future of Work that says that 85% of the jobs that we'll be doing in just 10 years haven't been invented. So how are leaders talking with folks about the future and what the future needs are for skills and abilities so that we can future-proof the organization? So one really key thing is to hone as a leader those, those skills around conversation. And the other thing is to remember that development is an ongoing relationship and not a one-and-done activity. 
So doing your annual individual development planning is great, but you don't get to cross development off the list for the rest of the year. You know, it only works when we then carry that thread forward and provide the ongoing support and the ongoing conversations and the ongoing accountability to hold people to the commitments that they've made, to the interests that they have, to the goals that they have around their careers. Julie, that's a terrific point. What are one or two resources that you find valuable for helping stimulate your thinking around the future of work that might be magazines or newsletters or blogs or podcasts that help you think more about this area that others can enjoy as well? Oh, gosh, there are so many, aren't there? I love the work of the conference board. There's always great, really meaty, forward-looking data that the conference board comes out with. The work of Josh Burson is phenomenal in terms of the future of work. And my, you know, old standard is the Harvard Harvard Business Review. I love that publication, in-depth reporting that they do on issues that relate to the the work that I do. Well, Julie, you've been so generous and helpful in helping us understand how to really advance not only our people who work with us day in and day out in our businesses, but also the idea of professional development, because it is so much broader and deeper than we have thought of it as, and it needs to be updated. I just want to appreciate and highlight a couple of points that you mentioned during the interview, because a lot of the, the selfless and gracious attributes that you mentioned about your father came through in your talk. And I just want to highlight that, call that out. I want to thank you for talking about how the two restrictions that a lot of people feel in professional development, that promotions aren't as available, so you don't want to stir things up by talking about it, and that people don't feel like they had the time, are both easily dismissed by taking a different approach. And we talked about the difference of a fixed mindset, a growth mindset, and how that makes a difference. You helped us understand and think broadly about learning as not just being the in-class educational part of it, but also the other two parts, which is the exposure, meeting people, developing professional relationships, and also the experiences. Here, take on this role, take on some more responsibility, and let's provide support so that you're successful with it. I want to thank you for sharing the exemplary work with your client, the manufacturer. We worked with the person, Manuel, in talent development, and we're able to make a difference in a large organization with over 20,000 employees in a period of just 18 months. That's really outstanding. The side benefits that come about from implementing projects that have a really clear metric for success have to also be accounted for and attributed to the work that's done because it has so many ripple effects. And Julie, for these and so many other reasons, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best today. Before we say goodbye, can you share with us where we can find out more about you and your work online? Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. I can be found at my website, juliewinklegiulioni.com. We've got lots of resources and, and tools available there. Julie Winkle Giulioni author of Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go, thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thanks, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. 
My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.